Hey, you're listening to Clumsy Theosis, a Catholic podcast that explores topics within the Catholic faith to help us deepen our spiritual lives, own our relationship with the Lord, and strengthen His church. Hello and welcome. My name is Rochelle Lucero and I am your host. How have you been since last week? Me, I have been great. I've actually been just kind of buzzing off last week's episode, to be very honest. Since I recorded it, there have been so many ideas that have just been rushing around inside my head. Like the good kind of ideas. You know, uh, the kind where maybe you're just washing dishes or you're taking a shower and you're thinking about that laundry list of things that you have to take care of. And then it's just like, bam, illumination. And you're almost struck by your own brilliance in that moment. But then it doesn't take too long for that euphoria to start to wane. And then you realize, you know what? That was a really, really good epiphany. And that might even be too good of an epiphany for me to take credit for all on my own. And then you realize, you know what? That must have been a God thing. That has to have been the Holy Spirit. Well, that's what happened to me. And so I want to piggyback a little bit off of last week's episode on holiness because I want to share those Holy Spirit inspirations that have come to me since recording last week's episode on holiness. And you know what? I'm looking down at my notes and I'm realizing I skipped something here. I need to send a thank you shout out. Join me in thanking Victoria. Victoria is our most recent patron, which means she's our most recent donor to Clumsy Theosis, which is super important because we are 100% listener supported here. So I would like to invite you if you would consider making a donation and becoming a patron yourself. And if you want to do that, all you have to do is go to clumsytheosis.net and click the word donate in the menu, or you can go down into the show notes. I have provided a link for you down there. And something really quickly, this is for everyone. Even if you've heard this spiel about Patreon and donations before, this is new information. You're now able to donate annually. It's a new feature on the website, which I think is pretty awesome. So head over to clumsytheosis.net, click the word donate in the menu, and check out the annual donation process. Okay, let me pick back up in my notes where I left off. So when I was thinking about holiness, I thought about the Holy of Holies in the Jerusalem temple. And then at the same time, I thought about the words of St. Paul when he says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? So those two things converged upon me at the same time, along with a whole slew of connections that were made between the temple, myself, and holiness. And maybe it's just me, but I think it's important for us to talk about the temple of Jerusalem that we find in scripture, because if you and I are temples, we should probably know what the implications of that actually are. And you'd be surprised to find out how many people don't realize that the temple wasn't just a building. There's a lot more to it than that. In fact, in the Jewish worldview, the temple is a microcosm of the universe. And St. Paul, being the well-formed Jew that he was, When he asked the Corinthians, when he said, do you not know that your body is a temple? He's coming from that place of viewing the temple as a microcosm of the universe. And so that's huge. You know, if we just stop and try to wrap our minds around that for a moment, you know, it kind of makes me think of that movie, uh, Men in Black. And in that movie, they're looking for, what is it, a stolen galaxy that actually happens to be hidden in this charm on the collar of this cat. And when they find it, they peer into it and you see this, you see this beautiful vast expanse of a galaxy and it's just awe-inspiring. And that's just a galaxy. That's not the whole universe, okay? So you can delve into that a little bit later on your own time. But for now, I think we should 
look at the temple that we see in scripture and figure out what makes it such a big deal and see if any of those things transfer over to us. Okay, so first of all, what makes the temple holy? The simple answer is God's presence. The cloud of glory that led the Israelites into the promised land for those 40 years that led them along the way, that is God's presence. And it literally dwelt in the Holy of Holies in the temple. Now, when we're referring to ourselves, you know, the Holy Spirit that St. Paul talks about, we know that that's God's presence literally dwelling within us from the moment of our baptism. That's the Holy Spirit of God. And also when we receive the Eucharist, his body, blood, soul, and divinity, that's his presence literally dwelling within us. I, I like the visual of the cloud of glory because, you know, the Holy Spirit, we don't have anything um, physical or tangible. So that visual of an actual cloud moving in and out of the Holy of Holies is a very powerful image of how the presence of God occupies our being, how the Holy Spirit of God occupies us. Whereas I think it's easier to um, understand the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus dwelling within us when we partake of him in communion. So these next two elements that I'm going to talk about don't make the temple holy, but they are features that drive home the fact that the temple was made to be a holy place of worship, not just some impressive building in the ancient world. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the location of the temple as well as like the structure and its architecture. The location of the temple was on Mount Moriah, which is a large mountain range. And that's significant because ancient tradition says that the temple was built on the exact peak that Abraham took his son Isaac to sacrifice him to God, which just so happened to be the highest point on Mount Moriah, naturally, of course. But really though, that's super important because in the old world, their belief was that the higher in physical elevation someone reached, that meant the closer they actually were to God. So this spot, this highest peak on the tallest mountain range was the ideal place for sacrifice, right? So that's probably why Abraham took Isaac there. And the worship of God under the old covenant was primarily through sacrifice. Now today we still offer sacrifice only instead of animals, We offer the sacrifice of praise as well as the ultimate sacrifice, the unbloody sacrifice of the lamb, you know, the Eucharist during the mass and the divine liturgy. Now, just like the high priest of the temple made the sacrifice of the people, right? That's important that it's a collective sacrifice, you know, that that also transfers over to us today. He made his sacrifice at the highest point of Mount Moriah. Well, today, Jesus, the high priest, he makes his sacrifice of the lamb at the highest point not of a mountain, but the highest point of the mass, at the highest point of the liturgy, meaning it's like the most important part, that is where the Eucharistic celebration takes place. And I say that because it is a pet peeve of mine when it seems like people are more attentive during the homily, right? Instead of the actual Eucharistic banquet. Or if someone judges how good a mass is by how good they thought the homily was. But don't get me wrong, I'm all for a homily. I think homilies are great. I think they're important for instruction and for catechesis and for formation also. And we should definitely talk to our friends and to our family after liturgy about the homily. But we should also be talking about the Eucharist afterwards, how it filled you or how it moved or healed you, anything, right? Don't forget to talk about the most important part of the liturgy. Now, another thing about sacrifice, don't forget that your heart is also an altar and upon the altar of your heart, there is sacrifice that is made. I don't know if you listened to my episode called 
Let Your Heart Be an Altar. I will put a link for it down in the show notes for you. In that episode, I basically, I kind of cover, like I do a survey of the centrality of the altar in Judaism and Catholicism in order to help you learn how to pray better in the heart and help you to realize the spiritual majesty of your heart and make important connections between your heart and the mass and the divine liturgy. I think it's very important that we all learn how to do that and all learn about that sacrifice that takes place on the altar of our heart. I highly recommend you listen to that episode after you finish this one. But now I'm going to move on to the structure of the temple. The temple was divinely designed. God himself divine, divined, God himself designed the temple. I don't know if you've ever read the last few chapters of the book of Ezekiel. That's the part where you read a whole bunch of measurements. It's basically talking about a whole bunch of rooms and how they're all measured in cubits. But what's happening there is the prophet Ezekiel, he's being shown a vision, a heavenly vision. He's given a very detailed tour of the heavenly temple, not the earthly one. But when Solomon builds the temple, he follows the guidelines for a number of the essential features that Ezekiel reports seeing in his heavenly vision. And when we read stuff like this, we might gloss over it and not think it's important or like that it doesn't apply to us. But I think it's pretty cool that God would be so involved with the design of his own temple. But after reading, you know, those last few chapters of Ezekiel, take a minute and think about the meticulous way that the temple was designed and relate that to yourself. You know, everything about you, everything even that you don't like about yourself, all of your cells and molecules and DNA and and down to your smallest atoms in your body, those were all designed and structured and arranged and loved into existence by God who has a plan for all of that, you know? And so if we're temples, then it, it makes perfect sense to me that God takes that much painstaking care and detail, if not even more, you know, when it comes to creating us and everything that we are and everything that we're supposed to be. So Ezekiel is showing us that the design of the structure of the temple is made to be otherworldly, right? It's supposed to represent a heavenly dwelling. But then the inner decor and furnishings of the temple were deliberately intended to represent something very earthly. So the interior is supposed to make you think of the Garden of Eden. Now, at first glance, it might seem that the heavenly dwelling and an earthly garden might be kind of like complete opposites to each other. But no, 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 no. Wait for it. The Garden of Eden is the primordial sanctuary. It is the first temple that ever existed on planet Earth. And Adam was the first priest. So when you read about the decorations of the temple, pay close attention to even the littlest details, even about the type of woods that were used in the interior part of the temple and try to imagine how those things would fit into the Garden of Eden. Back in the day before I learned this, I used to read you know, this section of scripture and like I would be reading about like the wooden beams and the pillars and how the windows had, you know, a certain type of wooden um, window frame. And I used to think, you know, I'm talking to like the author in my head. I'm like, dude, why are you spending so much time telling me about obvious construction things? I don't need to know this. Of course, I do need to know that. That's why it's in scripture. I just wasn't approaching it from the correct angle, you know. But the day that I started thinking about the interior of the temple as the Garden of Eden, 
the words basically just jumped off of the page. And in my imagination, I saw them in the garden. And it was the coolest thing. Because you're going to see how the wood in the temple is, you know, that represents the trees in the garden and how the paintings and the carvings that are in the temple of angels and palm trees and flowers, you know, these things all cover the walls inside of the temple, as well as like, you know, there's like golden plate around the temple for candles and incense and whatnot. And um, there's even like golden inlay in the floor and in the walls and stuff. And, and then you have statues of angels and depiction of animals. And it just makes you say, wow. I mean, it's just fascinating to meditate over. And then you add yourself into that mix. And it, it makes your body being a temple, it makes that take on a whole new dimension. Because if your body is a temple and the temple is supposed to, you know, be simultaneously like a heavenly dwelling as well as to hearken back to the Garden of Eden, there's just so much richness that you can unpack in that. And in my spiritual life, I come back to this frequently. You know, this really hits home in my spiritual life and in my growth. No pun intended. Um, But I love reading and thinking about the creation accounts and the Garden of Eden, because there's just so much there. But I'm only going to share two of my favorite things that I kind of go back to frequently when I'm meditating on this. The first is that God wanted Adam to name his creation, and naming something gives you power over it. And God gave Adam power over his creation, showing his trust, but also his desire to share his glory of his creations with Adam, right? He wants us to create with him and to share in his power. And the second thing that I go back to a lot is that God came daily to walk in the garden with Adam and Eve to be close to them. Not the way that a ruler would come to visit subjects, but the way that a loving father spends quality time bonding with children, right? And so if we are temples, if The temple is also like the Garden of Eden. That tells me that the Heavenly Father wants to come and dwell with me every day. He's there to spend time with you and to love you and to get to know you and for you to get to know him. And I go back to that frequently, you know, in, in my meditation times. And if you've ever heard me mention the garden of your heart, because I know I mention that sometimes and it does sound kind of cheesy, but this is where I'm coming from. And spiritual writers, they will mention things along this line too, and that's where they're coming from. But see, I'm not a gardener, and I'm sure if I was, I'd be able to make so many more beautiful connections. Michelle from Abiding Together podcast, I do not know her, but I think she's magnificent. I think she must be a gardener because she is really into garden metaphors when it comes to the spiritual life. And every time I hear her go off about it, To me, it's just like, oh my gosh, there's so much more richness and so much more beauty, you know, than I even thought was already there. Whether you have that kind of background in gardening and whatnot, it doesn't matter. There is a lot of fruit, and that pun was intended, and you can harvest it whenever you cultivate your inner garden. Now, this is just the tip of the iceberg, but can you start to see what it means for your body to be a temple, right? It's a place of sacrifice, a place of worship, of unfathomable, blah, 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 of unfathomable, <laughs> Lord help me, of unfathomable beauty and endless friendship and partnership with God, right? You are a temple of the Holy Spirit 
and that means that you are a microcosm of the universe. So in today's episode, as I went through only a few features of the temple, I related them to um, St. Paul and what he said about your body being a temple, but I did not tell you exactly what to think. I didn't tell you very specific ways how to apply them to yourself. I did prompt you to think about them in certain ways and to explore them from specific points of views, especially in your prayer. And I did that because that's part of having mature faith, learning about something and taking it upon yourself with the guidance of the Holy Spirit to apply it to your faith life, to your regular life, to your relationship with God, right? And that's how I like to do things, if you haven't noticed that already by listening. I know a friend of mine told me, I love the way she put it, she said that I provide her with a field manual. Like I give her some insights, some tips, facts, and I draw some connections. And then she uses what I gave her. She uses that as a field manual to assist her on her adventures with the Lord. And that was so touching to me and so humbling. And I'm hoping that that's what I'm doing with you as well. I'd love to know what is being sparked in your prayer life and in your liturgical worship, especially from this episode or any of the other ones. Reach out to me and let me know on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Clumsy Theosis or via the weekly email that I send you. If you are not receiving my weekly email, I highly suggest that you do. When you get the email, you're going to get the latest episode and you'll get insider information and occasional resources that are made by yours truly. There's a link down in the show notes for you to do that. I always respond. I love to hear from you. Until next week, my friend, God bless and peace out. Thank you for tuning in to Clumsy Theosis. I'm so happy that you've been able to hang out. If you want to learn more about Clumsy Theosis, you are more than welcome to visit my website, clumsytheosis.net. From clumsytheosis.net, you will also be able to contact me if you're interested in booking me as a speaker or if you're just feeling generous and you'd like to make a donation. Remember that together we can transform the world by letting the Lord transform us. 